Last time I was our two-year anniversary. Yeah, I think, yeah, because now we're on above 1,200. So yeah, because yeah, we're doing 600 a year. So, yeah, yeah this exactly. is, yeah, you're right. So, congratulations, yeah. Father. Moving into year three. Um, welcome to everyone who is joining us. We are so glad that you are here on this Thursday of Holy Week to break down the, the wall to know when we are recording. Yeah. Um, but we had some free time today, which is great because it's kind of quiet during the day yeah. of Holy Thursday, and then evening gets a little busier. It does, but in a good way. So it's great because we originally were supposed to record this a week ago today. It was the second to last day of March, but it was a very busy day. And um, I don't remember. Do we have a funeral that day too? I don't remember. I think so. We've had a lot of funerals. We have had a lot of funerals. And then it was also the day of the Catholic Charities uh, Banquet mm-hmm. um, at which I had to speak. So it was just, it was a crazy day. And um, so I asked if it would be okay if we moved it to Monday. And not just speak. You had asked for money, which I'd is your money. favorite thing in the world oh to do. Oh my goodness. I mean, it just, it was like the cherry on top for a wonderful Lent Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we continue any further, let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, on this Holy Thursday, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Eucharist, the gift of the priesthood, the gift of the church, the gift of your ongoing love for us. And we ask you to help us to continue to go deeper and deeper into that mystery, knowing today of your undying love for us and learning and experiencing that love more and more each and every day, right here at Sacred Heart, and beyond uh, to anyone in their parishes uh, who are listening, tuning into this podcast, whether it's today, years in the future, just knowing uh, eternally of your love for them. And we ask you to help us to remain close to that love today and always with the help of the one who remains so close to you always, our Blessed Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as Father alluded to, this is actually our March episode in <laughs> April because it's yeah. been crazy around here. It but sure that's has. okay. It has. But, you know, it's good. I think uh, I think we're all a little physically tired, and I think everybody's going to be happy to have a little bit of downtime next week. School's out next week. Parish office is only closed fully tomorrow and Monday. But I think it should be a little bit slower. I'm going to oh, yeah. be out of town, which I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty pretty darn excited It usually about. is slower when you are gone because people good. think when you're gone, nothing happens while you're gone, which well, is fine with me. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. No, I, I know it slows down. Obviously, things continue. But as grateful as I am that we have the school, that it's not this way all the time, it is kind of nice when we get a little bit of a break because, oh, yeah. yeah, just everything is a lot – just there's a lot more going on when the school is in session and uh, obviously a lot more life, but – a whole lot more life means that sometimes, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and we get a little tired. So Yeah, and you also realize when the school is out how quiet it gets around here. Yeah. Just with the background noise. Of course. I mean, I love art class. But those chairs scraping across the floor in art class, <laughs> it goes into the ceiling, over the wall, back into my office. It's quite annoying. You know, it's funny. I, I think I, I, I prefer what I have because the thing that I'm close to is the gym. Yes. So I, I can hear every practice, every game, all of that. But, you know, like we just said, there's a life to it that's so good and I'm grateful for it. But it's also nice when it's quiet. Oh, yeah. So. It's quiet for a week. And then yeah. after that, you're you're ready for it to come back. Exactly. Exactly. So it's good. And as we speak on the other side of that wall, um, there's not a basketball game going on. It is uh, the gym is being transformed 
into the Garden of Gethsemane and the uh, the place of the altar of repose. And as always, our wonderful uh, maintenance men, Jim Brinsfield, Miguel Villalobos. I mean, I don't know of any other parish that has the artistic and devotional qualities in their maintenance staff that, that we do. I mean, uh, the sanctuary for Palm Sunday this week, glorious. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did such a good job. And, and it's incredible that they can both make it look beautiful, and they've covered up all the images all at the same time. Yep. And this is Jim and Miguel. And today, they also have Lisa Martin and Pat Wayne helping them, you know, bringing in all the, you know, glories of creation with, you know, the wide diversity of flowers. And it's just awesome. So I'm excited to, to process into there tonight. Um, the great honor of getting to carry our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and uh, just being there and pray until about midnight when we shut it all down and move into Good Friday. Yeah, so people who are viewing live or watch this before this evening, yeah. um, Mass of the Lord's Supper at 7, 7 and then we will have adoration in the altar of repose from 8 until midnight. Till about midnight. So even if you can't make it for Mass at 7, please feel free to come out at 10 or 11 and spend some time with our Lord. It's just, it's such a beautiful night. And I'm glad you mentioned about, about, um, watching it live. Cause it's just, a, just reminded me it's totally tangential, but not that we like dedicate our episodes. Cause I guess this would be episode. Th- no, not 13 episode 25. At 25. This point. Yeah. Um, but someone who always and I don't watching, think we've ever dedicated our we have but there's always time for a new tradition. But the person I was thinking of, because she would, and I have to say it in the past tense, unfortunately, um, watch us live very frequently and give us some feedback is uh, Susan Evans, whose funeral mass we just had yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, I always appreciated her feedback. I think she was the one who told us that on Facebook there are a lot of bad comments sometimes. We need to probably work on that. Um, but she was such a delight to have, as I said in my homily yesterday at, at her funeral mass, the only thing that I was ever sore at Susan Evans about is the fact that she didn't move here until 2020. Yep. So, I mean, she was only here for two and a half years, um, but just such a delightful person. Um, her daughter, Catherine, and son-in-law now, Chris, got married here just over a year ago on the Solemnity of St. Joseph. Um, the rest of her children are just wonderful, too. And it was... Um, Good to be with them yesterday to pray for for Susan, to pray for the family, um, to have the lay Dominicans here. Mm-hmm. Our Catholic daughters were just wonderful. I had to tell you yesterday, it was like it was almost like the Catholic daughters were a choir. Just the way they responded, mm. like with just I don't know, like it, it was just it was a very beautiful funeral mass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just yeah, as pastor, it's hard to say goodbye to people. Susan was only seventy. Um, but I just, I just wanted to mention her today because I think she is one of those people who would often watch live and, uh, was just thinking about her and just, yeah, just praying for her today. Yeah. And so, now she's here at our yeah, turn. Exactly. So it's, it's good. And, um, yeah, so good stuff. Awesome. Well, perfect. Well, are we ready to, uh, yeah, I think we should in. probably dive in. Cause I think today we could probably just like go on for an hour with witty banter, like just, you know, and, and all of our other things that we have to talk Why about. Not? It's Thursday of Holy. It is. So, but we've got some cool stuff to talk about, but I have a feeling we'll probably end up on some tangents today. Oh, easy. But it's fun. So as a reminder to everyone, as we do every, every month, we are in the part two of the catechism on liturgy and sacraments. We are just about to finish up kind of the preface, if you will, of this liturgy part, talking about kind of liturgy as a whole, what is liturgy, how it plays into the life of the church. Um, So we've got about six or seven paragraphs to finish that up. And then we start getting into the sacraments. So today we will talk 
almost uh, fully about baptism. We have a little bit of baptism we'll cover next time around, confirmation next month, so on and so forth. Um, So the last little bit about liturgy is about liturgy and diversity. And I think this can be confusing to a lot of people because we are one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but we have diversity too. We do. There is a very nice balance between the oneness and diversity. Um, And ultimately, what we're talking about with the diversity is not diversity within even just the Roman mass, right? There is some diversity within that, how songs are sung, how even the priest celebrates the mass, incense, candles, the bells and whistles. But there are actually different ways to present the liturgy, different ways the liturgy is actually celebrated, where in some ways it's almost not recognizable as the mass that we know. Some parts are, but a lot of things are not. Absolutely. Um, And that's really what we would call the Eastern Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. And I'll t- I mean, the whole, you know, from paragraphs 1200 to, is it 1206? I mean, talking about, you know, liturgical diversity and the way that it's enculturated. I'm just going to read paragraph 1200 to just sort of kick us off Please on do. this. Because I think it kind of sums it up well. So paragraph 1200, from the first community of Jerusalem until the parousia, the end of time, is the same paschal mystery that the churches of God, faithful to the apostolic faith, celebrate in every place. The mystery celebrated in the liturgy is one, but the forms of its celebration are diverse. So I think that's the important thing to recognize is that we have both unity and diversity. And I'll just say, you know, just as, um, I don't know, a way to kind of maybe kick off the conversation you know, whenever I'm with my brother priests, you know, just even seeing that in the way that each of us has our, what's called the Ars Celebrandi, like the way in which we celebrate the liturgies. So yesterday, my friend, Father Corey Katrin, who's also very close with the Evans family, uh, was here for the mass. And then he did the burial rite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just, I mean, he did the exact same burial rite that I always do. But Father Corey and I, obviously, we have different personalities, different ways of, of going about things. And so, like, it was just kind of, it was interesting to me. And I always love it when I get to see other priests do the same thing that I do, just to see, like, okay, what does this look like from the outside? How are we different? How, like, because every one of us, like, our Lord uses us and uses our personalities, our gift, our voice, our hands to bring this about. And so, obviously, Aaron Corey Catron is different from John James Eckert. And so like just the very fact of us doing the same, right, it's a little bit different just because we're different people. Um, so that was a kind of a cool thing to see. But obviously celebrating the same faith, the same, you know, uh, hope in the resurrection as we both, you know, get to sprinkle Susan with holy water down there at the graveside. Uh, now, obviously there's greater diversity than merely going from one priest to another. And that's what this gets into and in talking about some of the different rites, you know, recognized all over the world. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the beauty, but as it says, you know, the mystery celebrated in the liturgy is one. So it's not like, you know, here we celebrate that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. In China, though, they only celebrate the fact that he's fully divine, like nothing about this fully human stuff. It's like, no, I mean, it's, it is the same mystery everywhere in the world, regardless of, of where that is, 
even if the, you know, enculturation, like where it is manifested looks a little bit different. Yeah, as long as, obviously, they are a Catholic church yep. in union with Rome. Absolutely. Because you can get some churches that look very Catholic, but True. are not yeah. Catholic and not in union with Rome. And then we really can't speak to what their uh, liturgy looks like. Yeah, um, and because you've moved away from, you know, what the what the mystery that's celebrated, mm-hmm. because it is different. I mean, if you are not, I mean, tonight, we're getting ready to celebrate the institution of the priesthood, you know, that's built upon the rock of St. Peter. Um, and being in union with the church that Jesus Christ established that goes all the way back, you know, to our Lord establishing that church. Mm -hmm. So if you've broken yourself off from that and have just declared, well, you know, I'm in, I'm, I can do this because I believe in Jesus. Like, well, but this isn't what Jesus established. It doesn't go back to, as it says, from the first community of Jerusalem, we can trace our roots mm-hmm. back to that first community of Jerusalem, which, as it says at the end of, is it Luke's gospel or the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, about, you know, going from Jerusalem to, I forget the next place, and then to Rome, you know, into the whole world. Like, it it moves out, obviously, but yep. we can trace it all the way back to those roots of Jesus's public ministry, his passion, his death, his resurrection, Pentecost, and all the way to this present moment in Salisbury, North Carolina. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a fascinating thing. But like the reason why I get to do what I get to do tonight is because I had the laying on of hands from Peter Joseph Jugas, who had the laying on of hands from St. John Paul II, which is awesome that yep. I can trace my lineage, right? You know, and, and, and you can go all the way back to our Lord. Um how beautiful that is. And it's not just something that we just kind of declared out of nowhere and like, okay, so now you can believe in this. Like, no, it's, it's rooted, you know, in that rich mystery that is celebrated everywhere, as you said, so, so uh, correctly, you know, in union with the, the Holy Roman Catholic church. Yeah. And so the, the whole point about this first community going out from Jerusalem and this, this is ultimately where we've got these different, uh, diversity within the mm-hmm. church um, because each apostle essentially went out to a different place, mm-hmm. right? Go out, proclaim the gospel to all nations, which they did very literally, yeah. as Jesus said to do literally. Um, and as the churches sprung up in different locations, as the apostles proclaimed the mystery of Jesus Christ, these liturgical celebrations weren't all identical mm-hmm. because. Communication wasn't great. We didn't have internet. We didn't have instant messaging or text messaging and things. So they had to, each apostle, help to bring up the church in the way they saw fit that would reflect best of what Jesus Christ wanted of that church. Now, all the foundations are the same, as Father Mm -hmm. already said, the oneness of the liturgy, but the celebrations became diverse. And ultimately, there are um, 23. Three distinct churches within the Catholic Church. I think that's right. Um, but then seven distinct rites, yeah. um, as they list here in paragraph 1203. So each of these are distinct in the ways that they celebrate. And a lot of them have to do with cultural diversity yeah. based yeah. off of where they sp- sprung up. Um, but they all still have the oneness of being unified to Rome. Exactly. And a lot, you know, it has to do with, yeah, language difference. Um yeah, with certain things, but at the end of the day, it's the one mystery that is that is celebrated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think I can really add anything to, to what you just said. Cool. That was great. Now, the next part I, I really like, because it then talks a little bit more about culture. So, mm-hmm. this is not the distinction of the churches. This is actually how the Mass is celebrated just in different places in the world. Yeah. My main experience of cultural diversity within the Mass is when we went 
to Jamaica for the mission trip. Sure. I mean, the music is entirely different. It's a little bit more of a reggae feel, sure. part of the Jamaican culture. They're using more traditional, you know, Jamaican instruments, a little bit more drum than the one that you kind of sit on. I forget what that's called. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, it's a very different style and expression, different sure. way to celebrate. But the church actually encourages that mm-hmm. in some ways. It says that, you know, diversity and culture is part of the mystery of the Mass. And we should allow that to be there as long as, 1206, mm-hmm. that it does not damage the unity of the Mass. Yeah. And then it even puts a caveat at the end. Cultural adaptation also requires a conversion of heart, and even where necessary, a breaking with ancestral customs incorporated with In- the Catholic. Incompatible. Incompatible. It's okay. The only reason why I carried that, because that, that is really important, that word incompatible, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because it reminds me of the saint on whose feast day I was ordained a priest, St. Boniface. Yep. So his feast day, June the 5th, you know, the apostle to Germany and the area where he was, I mean, the people worshiped this like mighty oak tree that mm-hmm. was huge. And obviously that is incompatible with the faith. So what did St. Boniface do? Um, in an act of um, perfect, you know, pastoral nuance, he went out and chopped down that oak tree. Yep. Um, because like folks, you know, we don't worship a tree. And you'll notice when I chop it down, it's not going to kill me. Um Because, yeah, that's not part of it. And I will tell you, like, when we get to the celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe, for example, I mean, yes, you know, our Blessed Mother coming there, caring about those people, you know, like little Juan Diego, you know, am I not your mother? Do I not care about you? But it's interesting to me when sometimes it's like there's so much about the the culture there that was like was completely changed because there was human sacrifice going on. So it's like some of those things, like obviously that's incompatible with the faith. Like you want that wiped out because that is a total, you know, wiping out of human dignity when you're, when you're sacrificing people to a, to a God, you know, to a demon basically. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of the pro-life movement, you know, not only because in the image she is pregnant, but also because like what she's wiping out is this, you know, cultural, you know, just not caring about the dignity of the human person. And so to sort of incorporate some of the like the lived, you know, the the cultural dances or some of those, it's like, whoa, like, let's make sure that this is compatible with the faith, like what our Blessed Mother has come to bring us now. You know, she has the dress of the local people, you know, and she loves Juan Diego. And and once the church built there, it's like, so obviously taking the good things from the culture, building them up, showing the people that they are cared about. But at the same time, I love that line. It's like, God meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to merely leave us there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make us become, you know, like some sort of a, you know, like, I got like, um, you know, like Star Wars, right? You've got like the uh, the clones. We're not a bunch of clones, like, and we are different. And in some way, like you said, going to Jamaica, it's amazing. It's like, yeah, it's the same faith, but there's the the Jamaican feel to the mass. I mean, you go to Portugal, there's a slightly different Portuguese feel to the mass. All these different places, and yet it's the same mystery that's celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, one really good example of this is if you go to the Basilica of the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in D.C., yep. all of the different images of our Blessed Mother from all these different cultures 
and it's all the same Blessed Mother. So it's not like, well, when you go to the one that represents Korea, eh, she's no longer the Immaculate Conception. It's like, no, no, she's still immaculately conceived, you know? She's still assumed into heaven, but she loves the Korean people, and she wants to bring them close to her son. You know, just like Our Lady of Knock in Ireland, or, you know, whichever other one you want to bring up. It's all the same Mary, who loves us, but at the same time, like a mother, you know, she has the same... You know, like just um, a lot of the same, uh, what word am I going for? Like characteristics of her children, you know, the good things of them that she's trying to bring to her son. And it's just in God's great glory, the way that that diversity and unity is able to be brought together is an incredible thing because we want both and the church gives both to us. And I also think a great example of this is, you know, St. Paul, when he was preaching to the Gentiles and found the temple to the unknown God. And he was able to use this as, hey, that unknown God that you've been worshiping the whole time is our Lord and Savior. Um, Now, all those other pagan gods that you're worshiping, yeah, we have to get rid of those. Exactly. So it's embracing what we can, Mm -hmm. but getting rid of the things that are incompatible. Absolutely. So it's, it's just beautiful that we get to be a part of all of that. And, you know, we get to continue to see it enculturated, lived out right here on the local parish level. And anybody listening to us who's not from Sacred Heart, I mean, you get to do it at your own parish. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there is the mystery of the faith lived out right there and hopefully never embracing anything that's incompatible with the faith. Yeah. And if you want to see some cultural diversity, tomorrow at 5 o'clock, we will have the Living Station yes, of the Cross in yes, Spanish. In Spanish. And that's a very common practice in the Hispanic mm-hmm. culture to perform the Living Stations of the Cross. Not something that we do in our American kind of Western culture. In that not in the same way. not in the same way. No. I mean, I've seen something like it, but I always feel like the people nah, – this is unfair. This is a, a big blanket statement, but I'll kind of say it anyway. But it's like I feel like when you see us in the United States just kind of doing something like that, like there's an element of being self-conscious about it. Where with um, the Hispanic culture, they just go all in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean it is full bore – I mean – God bless him, our actor who plays Jesus Rogelio, who is amazing. I mean, that guy is just destroyed at the end. Yeah. I mean, he puts his whole heart into it. Um, I know the guys that play the apostles. I mean, it's it's hard. They feel terrible because they've had to just, like, run away from our Lord. I mean, it's just to see all of that, you know, and, and they put their whole hearts into it. It's beautiful. Um, and, I, and I've loved to see the way here that we, you know, it's like the cultures have sort of mutually informed one another because more and more with time, we have different people from the English speaking community that are entering into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's been a great thing to see. And I heard it will happen rain or shine tomorrow. Well, here's what I'm, here's what I would My, say. Minus pastor, like dangerous weather. Yeah. If it's, if it's a crazy thunderstorm, I'm probably going to say, folks, I'm sorry. That's what I said too. Yeah. If there's thunder and lightning, yeah. call it. But, but if it's raining. As long, yeah. If it's just a little bit of rain, you know, as long as it, as long as it's not stupid to do it, we'll do it. You know? And thank you for being the voice of reason to stop the stupidity. You're welcome. That's, that's, that's why the pastor's here. That's what I'm here for. To, to be the voice of reason in the face of stupidity. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you're right. Bar to say. Yeah. Pe- people don't like to hear that said too. Like father, can we do this? Okay. You're being stupid. <laughs> I try not to say still, that. you are still, the voice of reason. I try. All right. Well, that wraps up kind of the, the general understanding of liturgy. And now we jump into section two of part two, the seven sacraments of the church. The first thing I want to say about the seven, the sacraments is this last statement of paragraph 1211, right? That the Eucharist, mm-hmm. 
occupies a unique place as the sacrament of sacraments. All the other sacraments are ordered to it as to their end. So the Eucharist is the most important sacrament. It is the source and summit of our faith. Mm -hmm. So as we are talking about all the rest of these seven sacraments, viewers at home, keep in mind yeah. that no matter what we say about the sacraments, it is ordered to the end of the Eucharist. And it's fine. I'm glad you just said source and summit too, because I believe that's a line from the Second Vatican Council like to, to sum up. And it's funny, I just always like thought about those two terms, source and summit, as just like analogous. Like, yeah. oh, it's two nice things to say, but they're completely different. So source, the beginning, that which gets you going, right? It's like the 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 very beginning that impels you on. But the summit is the very top. It's it's the height of all things. Um, you think about like climbing to the summit of Mount Everest. You're trying to get to the top, the summit. So it's like you have both the beginning and the final end. And so it's like, because it really is Jesus Christ present with us every step of the way, every single day. Because even tomorrow, uh, Good Friday, the one day of the year that we do not celebrate Mass, still the church knows how much we need the Source and Summit, that tonight at the Mass of the Lord's Supper, we will consecrate enough bread, enough of the hosts, that we'll still get to receive Holy Communion tomorrow. We still get to receive the Eucharist on the day that Jesus died for us. Why? Because we're still striving to climb towards the summit. He's still the source that impels us on and the goal to which we're going. And it's an incredible thing about the mystery of the Eucharist that it's both and. You know, at the same time, that which gets us going and that to which we're moving. It's a beautiful mystery. So all these sacraments, and specifically baptism as we talk about today, mm -hmm. are targeted, directed with the focus of the Eucharist. Yes. Now, the baptism, obviously, being the first of all the sacraments, the gateway mm -hmm. to all other sacraments, is also the first sacrament of initiation. Yes. And so we're going to be focusing a while on the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. So the sacraments of initiation, what they're ultimately doing is bringing the faithful into the fullness of the life of faith. These are the sacraments that we need for salvation, yeah. that Christ said we need for salvation. Unless you were born, born again through water, you shall not inherit eternal life, life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life within you. Yeah. I mean, pretty direct statements directly Absolutely. from Christ. So that's why these sacraments of initiation are so important, because Christ said they're so important. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we might as well just dive in here. Cool. Baptism. Father, kick us off. Where do we want to begin? Uh, um, at the beginning. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good place to start. <laughs> when we read, we begin with ABC. We begin with ABC. Thank you. Oh, man. I love Julie Andrews. Uh, so, Article 1 on the Sacrament of Baptism. So, let's just say, um, yeah, let's read paragraph 12, 13. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, as you just said, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through uh, That's an important thing to say. The door which gives access to the other sacraments. Before you can receive anything else, you got to be baptized. Um, and so we are baptizing 11 on Saturday night, which I'm very mm -hmm. excited about. Um, and then they will have, you know, have gone through the gateway, and then they will receive confirmation in Holy Eucharist a few moments And now later. I know it doesn't talk about why that's the case here, mm -hmm. but let's just talk about why that's the case here. Why, does, why do we need baptism to be the gateway to the other sacraments? So... At this point, so Adam and Eve forfeited the ability to hand on supernatural life. I mean, when God told them that they would die if they reached out and grasped at the uh, at the tree that He asked them not to, um, 
you know, I said, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Um, they did die. They lost supernatural life. And even though they didn't instantly physically die, um, they participated in a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, mortal sin, it's worse than physical death. Um, they lost the ability to hand on you know, uh, a relationship with God, life with him. And so our parents can only hand on to us natural life, not supernatural life, um, because our first parents forfeited that right. So when we talk about original sin, it's not like, you know, it's like with uh, John 9, the man born blind. Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Neither of them sinned. But for the, you know, that you may see the glory of God, you know, this happened. Okay, that we may see the glory of God. We're all born into spiritual blindness. We're all born into a merely physical life, a merely natural life, I I should say. And our Lord comes to give us supernatural life. Um, And before we can receive any of that super, that grace from on high, that which builds on nature, we have to go down with Christ into baptism who died for us and rose from the dead that we can become part of the body of Christ, part of the church, to have that supernatural life, um, to have that life burning within us. And so our parents are not able to give that to us, but Jesus Christ is. And the way that he's established for us to receive it is through the sacrament of holy baptism. And so once we receive that and we have that life burning within us, we are then alive to receive the other graces that he wants to give us through the sacraments. Yeah, and so this is why that is the the doorway or the gateway Mm -hmm. is that without this, without that spiritual life burning within us, no other graces, no other spiritual gifts can ultimately affect or help us. And that's that's why baptism is so utterly important. As in, I think we'll get to it at some point. Um, I think we will get to the minister of baptism, although I don't think we get to it today. But it's such an important sacrament that anybody can be the minister of baptism. Like the church, um, in the best sense of the term, is very liberal about its its you know ability to give the sacrament to other people. Just you know, using water. And the formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, being baptized, you know, into you know the, the Trinitarian formula, we are then, you know, we, we then receive supernatural life. And we have entered through that gateway. We have become part of the body of Christ, part of the church. Um, it is <laughs> the day that we are, you know, reborn, the day that we're born into the life of Christ. Um, do you know what your baptismal anniversary is, by the way? It's on my calendar, but Just I don't know it off the top of my head. Mine is April 11th, 1982. So we're coming up on it next yeah. week. That's kind of exciting. So I'm coming up on 41 years since I was uh, baptized into our Lord. I mean, I was born in July, so it's probably in August or sure. september Sure, pretty early on. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, that's all right. I don't um, have the exact date number. It's all good. You know, we do the putting on the spot when it comes to something with cold water. Isn't that funny? Yeah. We did about cold showers a year ago. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just... it. It's one of those things where it's amazing how our Lord makes something so important so accessible. Yeah. You know, okay, this is going <laughs> to, we'll see if this tangent works. I really like this uh, comedian, uh, David Mitchell, all right? And he has these little like rants on YouTube. It's been a while, but he goes through this whole thing about like fancy foods that like didn't used to be that important, but now that now they're rare. So they're like super, it's like, oysters. Like he goes, it used to be 
that like you know it was poor people that were reduced to sucking cold snot out of a rock but like that that's what they would eat but now they're more rare so like they're really expensive or like um truffles you know mushrooms it's mold off the ground but it's so expensive and like all these different things he goes through it's like they're so expensive now only because they're rare and he goes he goes give me bread and butter he goes the the, the you know classic standby and he goes you know i forget what he says at the end but i love it because he's like long live butter uh, king king bread and his loyal queen butter and like it was just it was great because it's so accessible to everybody yep. it's bread and butter it's so good um when you look at baptism you know it's like what do you need water you know i mean it now granted there's places where it's scarce but you can get enough water for a baptism like i mean if it rains sometime it's gonna happen i mean heck if you have to cut open a cactus and pull some out i mean all you need is water and the Trinitarian formula. And it's like he's made it so available. Now, there has to be an intention. And even, and this is the thing, even an atheist can baptize someone as long as they intend what the church intends. It's not like I'm doing this for no reason. You know, it's like there has to be some intention. Um, but still, I mean, just the fact that it is that available to people. Um the sad and scary thing is, is that, you know, I think some people just like take it for granted. And, you know, like a lot of things that are so important, sunlight, you know, like he's pouring it out on us all the time. And without it, we would be in such bad shape, you know, but we just don't think about it very often. You know, just that's how good God is and his generosity is just constantly pouring it out. It's not something that's like super rare and like, okay, we're only going to baptize five a year here. So you got to make sure it's no, I mean, it's just, it's this awesome outpouring of grace and all you need is water and the will to do it. Yeah. Pretty awesome. And the will, uh, talking about the atheist, the will from the atheist could even be, I know this person would want this. Yeah. I don't believe in this, but I'm going to do this out of charity or goodwill of this other person. That's all it takes. Yep. It's incredible. And it is cool too, because I'm guessing the atheists who would do that will probably eventually end up getting baptized themselves or falling back into the church. So yeah, God's love is just too good. And just as another tangent, I mean, it's like atheism doesn't have anything to respond with. Is there evil in the world? You bet there is. But atheists, explain to me, why is there good in the world? Like explain that. Like you can't go on the one without coming back with the other. And you look at the way this is set up. I mean, this is not the sort of thing that human beings can just like come up with, you know, that, that we can just make up a make up out of thin air that, you know, okay, God is a trinity of persons, love, you know, love from all eternity. And if you pour water over yeah. your head and say these words, original sin is gone. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, there's so much to it that it's like, I mean, there are like the only explanations that make sense for this are that it is true, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and no, don't get me wrong. Like, I know there are new atheists out there who could probably debate me and do a really good job and tear me apart. But the way I look at it, it's like, explain to me why there's any good. Like, why are we even discussing this and why are we just not all killing each other? You know, it's like, there is love and that's an amazing thing. And we get to tangibly be immersed into that and rise to new life. So anyway, cool. So water. Water. Going back to water. Why is water important? Where does this water actually come from? Where do we actually get the reason why it is water? Mm -hmm. So as you said, it's so readily accessible so that baptism is so readily accessible. But water also played a pretty big role in salvation. Absolutely. Right? I mean, 
You get a lot of water with Noah's Ark, right? Yes, yes, you do. But what was the water doing? What was the flood's purpose? It was to rid the earth of sin, to bring a spiritual renewal, mm-hmm. to start anew and to start again. You get a lot of water with the Red Sea too, yeah. right? What was the whole parting of the Red Sea? Obviously, to help the Israelites to get out of slavery of Egypt, but ultimately, parting the water, the walking through on dry land across the Red Sea, freed them from slavery, freed mm-hmm. them from slavery of the Egyptians. And ultimately, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians ended up drowning within the Red Sea. So that evil, that sin was drowned and washed away by the water. So water has played an incredibly important role within salvation history, prefiguring the emphasis of the sacrament of baptism for a long time. So Jesus did not just come along. John the Baptist didn't come along and just make this up. He knew what he was doing. And water also had very much an important role within the washing of the Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. So going from a Jewish uh, spiritual washing to a baptism actually was not that big of a jump for um, the Jewish and then ultimately later the Christian-minded people. Yeah. And I would just say, too, just to kind of build on something you just said there, because you're all absolutely right. But with that starting anew, the amazing thing is, even with the flood, you know, Noah and the other seven persons emerge from that. But, like, it's not as though God decided to just wipe it all out and start start completely fresh, you know? Like, he, and it's the same way with our baptisms. I mean, yes, we're born merely natural. By baptism, we move into supernatural life. Um are we a new creation afterwards? Yes, as we hear in the baptismal rite, you know, when I talk about the white garment, like you have become a new creation in Christ. And yet, there's a reason why. It's like, you know, your parents named you Michael Becker. And then after baptism, you saw the name Michael Becker, but you're still a new creation in Christ. It's not like you're born totally in sin. Um, and so I'm just going to wipe you out and not, not even just, just, we're just going to start completely new. Like that's not the way it works. Like he, he still brings us through the water and it's like, are we different on the other side? Yes, we are. Um, but did he just like erase us and start over? No. I mean, that, that's because I mean, some of the prayers in the church talk about the fact that even more, I mean, impressive isn't the word, but like overwhelming than just God's act of creation in the first place is the regeneration and recreation that he loved us enough, not just to wipe us all out, but to, to enter into all this and like bring us through, you know, the water of the flood, the water of the red sea. Um, unfortunately, as we see with those Israelites though, you know, uh, with Scott Hans line that it's a lot easier to get the Israelites out of Egypt than Egypt out of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. You know, they long for things back there sometimes. Um, and that's the, you know, the struggle that we have and the fact that we keep our concupiscence, even though original sin has been washed away. And now I'm going to keep put you on the spot. Please. What's my middle name? Um, Alan. Good job. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And then, wait, is it David is your confirmation saint? No, no. Francis. Francis. Shoot. Okay, because I yeah. think there's a David in there somewhere, but that's just your son's name. Yeah, that's just my son's name. Okay, cool. David Augustine. I got Alan, though. I'm happy about that. Yep. Even if I miss Francis. Sorry. Hey, that's all right. We have two very common uh, confirmation saints 
Francis and Sebastian. Yeah, the most <laughs> common male confirmation yes. saints out there. I know. Maybe I don't know which one is one and two, but we're right up. I mean, there it's, it's definitely near, definitely one and two, either or. <laughs> exactly. One hundred percent. That's great. actually Michael's becoming super popular. Yeah, I mean, that's our, a great one though. Our CIA choices a lot of Michaels. That's good. That's good. yeah. I was just signing them today. What was it? I saw Gianna. That's Gianna awesome. was great. Gianna's a good one. I did see a Sebastian. Um, mm-hmm. Which one? I saw Mary Magdalene. That's yep, good. I think two Mary Magdalene's. That's maybe. great. I love Mary Magdalene. I'm loving Mary Magdalene more and more all the time. Okay, that's another tangent. But yeah, so good stuff. So with water and Mm -hmm. with the water in the Old Testament, obviously it then becomes a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Something happens that elevates this to receive the sacramental graces, and that's ultimately the life of Jesus Christ. Of course, of course. Jesus Christ being baptized by John the Baptist is ultimately what in some ways ordained this fairly common action that John the Baptist even noted that mm-hmm. said, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. And, um, and so there is a transfer. Mm-hmm. There was water, but now this water is actually efficacious mm-hmm. and actually performs what it signifies. So what is the point of Jesus's baptism? He did not need to be baptized. He was already sinless. He didn't have the original sin from Adam and Eve. So why did he bother doing this? In the same way that, um, you know, he didn't have to do any of this. I mean, it is a prefigurement of the baptism to come, but it's also, it's the beginning of his public ministry in which he goes down into the depths. As I like to say to people, you know, having gone on the Holy Land pilgrimage, it helps a lot because you go from his hometown area of Nazareth and Galilee, which is beautiful. I mean, around the Sea of Galilee, like that's the one part of the Holy Land trip. I'm like, yeah, I could just lay down roots and just stay here. This would be fine. Um, But then you go down to the area of the Jordan and... I know it sounds dramatic, but it's like going from heaven down into hell. I mean, it's just, it's gross country. They're, they're kind of fixing it up now, which is good. But like just all the war-torn everything. But, you know, Jesus did not, you know, in Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at. It's like he left the bosom of his heavenly father to enter into all this with us. And then it's like he leaves his family home to, to go down into the depths with us and to rise again. And, you know, the interesting thing to me is when he does that, you know, you have the theophany, this revelation of the Trinity, the heavenly father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Um, You know, this is, or you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, full stop. I find that that very fascinating because like he comes up, it's like he's beginning his public ministry. He's not holding anything back. He's willing to go down into the depths and sort of showing what baptism is. You know, it's it's a participation in the death of Christ and his rising again. We come up into that theophany. But the reason why I said full stop, it's like at that point, the heavenly father says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, it's a strength. I think it's always like it's, it's this strengthening in his love in the, in the Trinity as he begins his public ministry. When you get to the transfiguration, there's a similar moment. But that time, it's for the strengthening of the apostles. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This time, so he's speaking to the others because our Lord, you know, in this, this vision of his glorification is on his way to the cross, the fulfillment of what he's prefiguring in his baptism, that he is going to go all the way down into the depths. In the waters of the Jordan is a prefigurement on the cross 
actually down into hell to free us from eternal sin and death and then rises from the dead um, on Easter Sunday. And so it's, you know, and even in the, the funeral, right, it's like, you know, we shared in a death like his. We've gone down with him into baptism mm-hmm. and now we've risen with him to new life. We've become a new creation. Like we're already experiencing here and now the reality of the resurrection. I mean, and that's that's what we get to participate in. That is our rich inheritance as sons and daughters of God. And once again, it's just so good and so amazing. And it's the mystery of human life that we just take it for granted, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And that death with Christ in baptism is extremely important to understand sacramentally speaking. Yeah. This is also why we do baptisms at the Easter Vigil. Yeah. Because what are we celebrating at the Easter Vigil? This is the glory of his resurrection. He was just in the tomb for three days and he conquered death. Yeah. So we are then through the baptism, especially those baptisms at the yeah. Easter Vigil, are, they are going down into that death yeah. and rising again anew with Christ. St. Paul says this. We see in paragraph 1227, we've got a nice quote from St. Paul. But ultimately, this comes from Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Do it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says it super clear. Oh, yeah. Through baptism, we are dying, going into death with Christ, and then coming to new life with Christ when we come out of that water. Yeah. Um, and how beautiful it is that we're talking about this, you know, on Holy Thursday. Yeah, exactly. Two days before we actually get to do this. And, you know, and I feel like, too, I'm, I'm grateful that the way we have this broken down, that we get to talk about this right after we talked about unity and diversity. Mm-hmm. It's all the same baptism. But the diversity of God's grace and the way that he builds on the nature of all of his sons and daughters. I mean, you and I have different vocations, you know. Um, you'll go home later and, you know, be with Kara and the kiddos. Like, you know, and hopefully bring them to Mass and it'll be great. You know, and I have the, like, my vocation is to be a priest and, you know, to do the things I need to do to get ready for the Holy Thursday liturgy. Now, obviously, we work together. We're together getting to discuss this right now. Um, and so it's like we're, we're unified in our vocations, but yet there's a diversity of gifts. But it's the same Holy Spirit that's poured out upon us. Like we entered into the same death, you know, with Christ in our baptism. And yet, and Christ builds on that for all of us. And it's like this rich diversity um, that's still unified in his love for us. I mean, I, I think I'm baptizing 11 on Saturday night. It's a diverse group. You know, we've mm-hmm. got people of various different backgrounds, men and women and, you know, young and old. And it's it's awesome. And it, it's the same same Christ, you know, has died for them. They die with the same Christ. They go down in the waters the same. But it's like they come up and our Lord builds on that in diverse ways. So it's, yeah, it's glorious. And that baptism was necessary for salvation for you and me. Mm-hmm. And that baptism was the gateway to your sacrament of the priesthood mm-hmm. and my sacrament of marriage. Exactly. We could not have embraced our vocational sacraments without baptism. Exactly. Exactly. So we all got the same thing, which is awesome. And then our Lord builds on that in different ways. Oh, it's glorious. So now we get to talk about how it's actually celebrated okay. within the church. Awesome. So those that are pre-baptized are called catechumens. Mm-hmm. Before baptism. Before baptism. Mm-hmm. Pre-baptism. That is an important term that a lot of people here within the church might not totally understand. So our catechumens, 
those 11 that will be baptized have been preparing for baptism through RCIA for the past uh, six or seven months now. An infant who is still to be baptized is still a catechumen, yeah. someone who is outside of the faithful of the church that will be coming into the church. Now, it is an ancient tradition of the Catholic Church to baptize infants. And I know a lot of our brothers and Protestant brothers and sisters don't fully understand this or understand why this is. But, A, there's evidence that this happened in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It talks about the apostles baptizing entire households. Yeah. If you baptize an entire household, there's going to be little ones to be baptized along with the adults. Yeah. But ultimately, I think it's beautiful because you're not leaving the choice of salvation up to the child when they hit the appropriate age to choose for themselves, whether that's at 7 or 15 or 27. Mm -hmm. The parent, whom it is the primary educator of their, their child, wants their child to be saved and is choosing salvation, or at least this gift of salvation, potential salvation, on behalf of their child. Yeah. Why that do doesn't make sense, I don't know. I know. It makes perfect sense to me. I completely agree. And I mean, especially if you consider it as the rich treasure and inheritance that you want to give to them. Yeah. I mean, what do you offer them? Eternal life. Um, there's nothing better. Like, there's nothing better you can give to your child than eternal life. Uh, being, you know, in love with God and their brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity. And, you know, there's, there's really nothing else that you say, I mean, nothing of such a foundational importance that you say, you know, we're just going to wait on that. Like, you know, I, I just don't know if they're going to want to eat. You know, I just, I, I, I'd rather prefer to wait on that for, or medical sort of things. Like, I just, I really feel better if, you know, Junior got to decide, like, if, if he really wants to, you know, take this. Does he really want to put antibiotics in yeah. his body? Like, I can't force that yeah, on him. Yeah, I can't force that on him. That's his, no, I mean. You've been entrusted with this child. You want to give them the gifts that you have been given to pass on to them. Um, and there's nothing more important than eternal life. And so it's like, yeah, you hand this on. I mean, that's part of, um, you know, the gift that we've been given is the traditio, the tradition to be able to hand this on. And yeah, I mean, and especially for a little guy, why, why would you give it to a baby? So they have it from the very beginning, you know, um, that they have all the graces, that they're open to everything they can receive. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, completely agree. And I, now I think it's also important to, to caveat because this, people can start to hear baptism and salvation and give them the gift of salvation. We don't believe in predestination and we don't believe in once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. So while baptism allows us to be saved, it is not just the full stop, hey, you're going to heaven, congratulations, yeah. you've been baptized. Of course. Right? There yeah. is still a participation that we need to participate in. Yeah. That baptism allows us to be saved, but we still need to work towards that. Because our Protestant brothers and sisters have a different theology in that, right? Sure. That baptism is ultimately an outward sign of the salvation that already has happened. Mm -hmm. That they have chosen to be accepted by Jesus Christ, that they have chosen to chosen Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and baptism just affirms that decision. So they're saved. Congratulations. But we in the Catholic Church don't believe that, that you need to have baptism, as Christ said, to be saved. It is a requirement to be saved, but it does not necessarily mean that you are saved. You still have to participate in yeah. that. It's an opening. It's a beginning. Um, yeah, it's a reception of supernatural life. 
but it's not the end game. And I mean, really, if you just look at human lived experience, you know it. Like we talked about before with the prefigurement of the Israelites going through the Red Sea. You can get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it's hard to get Egypt out of the Israelites. I mean, going through the desert for 40 years, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of, you know, choosing of other things, like that stupid golden calf, you know? It's like, but we all do that kind of stuff. And we all experience, you know, still even after baptism, the effects of the fall. And so we have to keep striving to climb that mountain, to work towards the summit. And our Lord works with us, you know, through that purification. Are we earning our way to heaven? No. But at the same time, and we'll say, this is one of those things that I don't, I don't know, like we get into those debates about, you know, like justification or merit-based theology or this or that, um, about, you know, it's faith alone. Okay, the word alone is not used. And you can't, and if you just root everything out of St. Paul, okay, like, I guess you could get kind of confused if you don't read like the whole entirety of the Pauline corpus. But the thing that I've always been confused about in the whole, like, you know, you don't have to earn anything. Have you ever read uh, Matthew 25, you know, the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gives the parable of the separation of the sheep and the goats. When he says, like, who are the ones, you know, that are the sheep that are going to be entering into his father's glory? So is it, you know, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. You know, I was naked, you gave me to, you gave me clothes. You know, and those are the ones that he's like welcoming in. They're doing things. Like they, they're participating in the work of love, you know, of charity. But the ones that he sends off, the goats, are those that, you know, I was hungry and you did not give me to eat. I was thirsty, you did not give me to drink. And like, that's on the lips of our Lord. It's the parable he's giving. And am I saying that, you know, by giving somebody food, I'm earning my way into heaven? No. But at the same time, like he didn't give us his grace. He didn't give us baptism. He didn't like continue to be with us always. So we can just like sit around on the couch and not care. You know, it's like, no. And and I think that gets felt, you know, in, in a lot of like the Protestant theology of like, you know, you're not earning your way into heaven. I get that. And I appreciate being concerned to not in any way take away from the importance of Christ. I do appreciate it, and I think that's beautiful. But at the same time, you have to look at him as both fully human and fully divine. Look at the way that he continues to work with his apostles, even though they're falling all over themselves. I and mean, we'll hear about it, you know, tonight as we meditate on the Garden of Gethsemane. They just keep falling asleep, you know? He's like, are you still taking your rest? I mean, come on, guys. Like, and Actually, Matthew's great because uh, uh, he, he goes back to them three times. Three times. I don't think he goes back to them as many times in the other gospels. He doesn't. Luke, and Luke makes it like kind of like, oh, those poor guys. It's like they fell asleep for sorrow. You know, Matthew's one of the apostles, so he's one of them. Yep. And so it's like, yeah, we're, we're a mess, you know? <laughs> and, like, so he doesn't point punches. Neither does Mark. It's because, like, Mark is uh, apparently, like, the secretary of St. Peter. So one of my favorite commentaries on Mark, it's called The Memoirs of, of St. Peter mm. by um, Dr. Michael Pakalik. It's excellent. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, they keep falling all over themselves. And yet— Jesus wants them to work with him. I mean, look at Peter's threefold confession of his love of Jesus after the three denials. You know, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He doesn't say, okay, don't try to earn your way into heaven. Like, no, feed my sheep. Like, do actions. Get out there and get to work. Like, okay, first comes the love, and I get that. And it's not as though you're earning your way in. But at the same time, you got to participate. Like, and, and you look at the uh, the parables of the talents. Who's the one that he's upset with? The one who takes their talent and buries it in the ground because, oh, you know, you're a harsh master. 
like, no, I gave it to you to go out there and earn at least put it in the bank so you can get some interest. Mm -hmm. Like, we're supposed to do things. And I love uh, towards the end of uh, the Roman canon, you know, uh, Eucharistic Prayer 1. You know, it says, not according to our merits, but your pardon. So it's like, yeah, there's our theology right there. It's not our merits. I mean, we trust more in his pardon than all the stuff we've managed to do. It's like St. Saint, Saint, uh, Thomas Aquinas said about all of his writings. It's just a bunch of straw at this point. But thank God he wrote all that straw because it's helped us to understand more. And St. Thomas wasn't doing that to say, like, look at me. I'm the angelic doctor. Like, no, he's not earning his way into heaven. But thank God he used the gifts God gave him to write it all out and to love our Lord and to have that devotion. We're going to sing some of his songs tonight in the Pange Lingua Gloriosi. Mm-hmm. We sing it every time we have benediction. If he had been like, well, I can't earn my way into heaven. I need to just sit back. No. Like, God made you a burning, shining light. And he's <clears throat> given you his grace. And he wants you to live that out to the fullest. Not so you can earn your way into salvation. But at the same time, he wants you to put those talents to good works. Um and yeah, I just feel like he's telling us that all over the place. And so when we try to like separate those things out, it just doesn't make any sense. And in the same way, it's like with baptism. It's not an empty rite of just like, well, this is our process of initiation. It's like, no, I mean, we're entering down into the death of Christ. We're really dying with him and rising to new life. Now we've risen that new life. We have the light of Christ burning in our hearts. We've been clothed with a white garment that we were to bring unstained into salvation. Um, we've been anointed priest, prophet, and king to get the heck out there and get to work in priestly, prophet, and kingly ways. Our ears have been opened. Our lips have been opened so we can hear the word of God and proclaim his glory. Why? Because he wants us to get to work. He wants all these things to happen, and he wants us to participate in that. And he's there to help us every step of the way. So I guess that's kind of like a big thing on, like a big tangent on just sacramental the, theology that was in general. A, that was a good po- apologetics discussion. Okay, I appreciate so, that. Yeah. And, and I was, I kind of wanted to do a little bit of apologetics with that because good. baptism is such a contentious point within us and the Catholic Church and our Protestant brothers and sisters mm-hmm. because we just, the Protestants don't have the same understanding of the efficaciousness of sacraments, of sure. what the sacrament actually does, that is all really symbolism theology. Now we still honor that baptism because anyone can baptize. Exactly. So that baptism still is efficacious, whether they recognize the, the, that effect of baptism or not. Um, and that's why we don't have to rebaptize those who are, are baptized with water and with the Trinitarian formula. Um, so I think you went on a great tangent. Well, I appreciate talking it. about faith and works because that's kind of where I was going, and I, you actually took it up and ran with it more than I thought you were. Going to do. So that was awesome. <laughs> it's just one of those things that I just I feel like the more you look at the words of our Lord, mm-hmm. like I get it. Saint Paul can be kind of confusing, you know. He's got some longer sentences. Which one of his letters are you? His reading? writing style is kind of weird with yeah. a lot of commas it's and a, a lot tough. of run-on sentences. Yeah, and I, and I love Saint Paul. I mean, like I said, I, I did my master's thesis on part of his letter to the Philippians. Love it. It's amazing. Saint Paul is incredible. But it's just funny to me because I feel like sometimes some of his lines are taken out of context to build like this whole theology. And it's like, um. Did, did you read the Gospels? Like, just read what our Lord says, too. I mean, that's super important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he makes it very clear. If you would be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He didn't say, be baptized, accept me as your Lord and Savior, and that's it. It's like, no, you have to take up your cross daily and follow him. That that gets lived out in works, you know, and and those works can look drastically different. Someone may be listening to us who is homebound, hasn't been able to leave their house in 20 years, 
but they can still do amazing things participating in the sanctifying work of Christ by bearing their cross faithfully. They may be doing more for the salvation of souls than I am getting out there and doing all sorts of stuff like running the hospital and everything else because they're uniting their sufferings to Christ in a beautiful way. I mean, it's it's the mystery of God, but he didn't create us to just have us just like sit on the sidelines. It's like, no, love me in every aspect of your life every day. Um, it needs to be lived out. And it's, oh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It makes our, our faith an adventure. Yeah. And remember that St. Teresa de Lisieux, who is a cloistered Carmelite sister, is the patron saint of missionaries. I know. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. if that's not a kind of a weird faith oxymoron, I don't know what it is. I, I completely But agree. that's the beauty of our faith. It's so great. All right. So now we get into the kind of the final section we'll talk about today, which is the actual celebration of the baptism. Mm-hmm. Now I've had three children, so I participated in three baptisms and godparents for many and been at the Easter Vigil, but you do baptisms on a very regular basis. I do. So you are definitely much more of an expert of this topic <laughs> than I am. Um, and you actually brought the right book. I did. So. I thought that would be important. And also about this right book. So I brought the, uh, the edition bilingue, the bilingual edition, because I'll be honest with you, I think I'm at the point I'm more comfortable doing baptisms in Spanish than I am in English. Because you've done more in Spanish yeah, than English. a lot more in Spanish yeah. than in English. Um, I mean, that's probably not fair. It's more comfortable. But I, I totally feel comfortable doing it in Spanish now. Yeah. So it's just I've done a lot, and it's it's glorious, um, you know, asking the parents what they name their child. And, I mean, even that is a powerful moment because just like God entrusted Adam to name all the all the animals, the like – you're being entrusted with this life and you get to name them. I mean, that's, that's powerful. And then what do you ask of God's church, you know, for David, you know, eternal life, baptism. Like I want them to have, you know, I mean, just that starting little bit is an incredible thing. And then, you know, inviting the godparents into helping the parents of their Christian duty of raising this child. And, um, I mean, we don't have to necessarily walk through the whole right, but it's just, it is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think we should hit at least some of the highlights. Yeah, go right? for it. Yeah, why so, don't you pick on some, and I'll just do my tangents like I always do. Yeah. So you just talked about the name, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a lot about water. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the anointing with chrism because yeah. we haven't really talked about the oil yet as the a component of baptism, and we just got the holy oils from we the uh, chrism mass the other day. So why don't you talk about how the oils play into baptism? So with the sacred chrism, it's kind of cool with the chrism mass. And obviously it's funny because the bishop, uh, you know, he blesses two oils. He consecrates the chrism. But it's interesting they call it the chrism mass, not the mass of the blessing of the oils. It's just the chrism mass. Because in the midst of the Eucharistic prayer, he blesses the oil of the infirmed, the oil of the sick. And then at the end of the mass... He blesses the oil of the catechumen at first, and then he consecrates the um, the chrism. And it's fascinating because he takes, so you have the the olive oil, that I mean, massive amounts of olive oil. I had to carry that in one year as a seminarian, and it's just like, you know what's inside of it, so it's like mentally you're thinking, this is going to be slippery, and like you're just so afraid you're going to j- drop this giant thing of oil, but anyway, I didn't, thanks be to God. Um but that gets set up on a table and the bishop mixes in balsam, like this this wonderful smelling perfume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he stirs that up and then he blows on it. Like so it's like the you know, the the breath of the Holy Spirit like coming on that. And then as he goes through the prayer of consecration, when he gets to a certain point, all of us priests extend our hand. We don't say anything, but it's like we're participating in the consecration of that sacred chrism. 
And it, it has a special place, and I don't know all of the theology of the chrism, so I'm not like ready to talk about it. Hopefully we'll be ready to talk about it more at confirmation. Yep. But so it's like this Christ oil, as you can see in the name, like, you know, the chrism, this anointing with oil. Um, and right after the pouring on of water in the baptismal rite, first thing I had to do is anoint the child on the head with sacred chrism. And it's, I anoint them priest, prophet, and king. So priests, you know, they offer up sacrifice. So obviously I'm a, you know, I've received holy orders. You know, I am a, a priest in persona Christi. And chrism is used for holy for the, orders. Oh yeah, for well. holy orders. Yeah. Uh, not for the diaconate, but it is for the priesthood and um, the episcopacy. Priesthood, our hands get anointed with chrism, and man, it's so great. He like, and Bishop Jugas is so good about like he he's very liberal in his use, like just goes to town. So your hands are like dripping with it, and then we wrap it up um, with a cloth called a manaturgia, and that's the thing you give to your mom at ordination. Yeah, we can do that another time. But at the Episcopal ordination, when you become a bishop, obviously your hands have already been anointed. They pour the oil on top of his head, which is really cool. (laughs) So I have um, never been to an Episcopal ordination. Maybe someday it'll happen. I don't think I've been to an ordination. I've been to an installation, but I've never been to an ordination. So I was there when uh, Cardinal Burke was installed in St. Louis back in 03 or 04. Anyway, um, but this, like the babies, you know, so in the same way, like a bishop gets a port on his head, a baby, like I, I anoint them on the top of their head. And you're reasonably liberal with the oil, too. I try. I try. <laughs> you know, it's like, because I want them to smell good forever, yeah. you know, and it's like, hey, we've got this. Let's use it, you know, so it's it's great. And uh, yeah, so priest, prophet, and king, and the way I do it, it doesn't say what you're supposed to do in the anointing. So I do like vertical line priest, because I'm thinking heaven to earth. Yep. Prophet, I do horizontal line because it's like us speaking to one another about mm. the glories of God and what we need to do. And then king, I just sort of like circle all the way around like a crown. And like the proper ordering of things, um, you know, in our lives, in our vocations, what we've been entrusted with. Mm-hmm. It's like we all have those roles. Even if we're not all ordained priests, like I am specifically set aside to offer up the holy sacrifice of the mass. Obviously, not everybody has that same um, anointing. Um, but by baptism, we're all anointed to offer up sacrifice, to un- to unite our sacrifices with the sacrifice of Christ. Because remember, you know, okay, as we said before, Jesus said, if you be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. He doesn't ask us to do things that he's not going to give us the grace to do. So by that anointing, you know, to be a priest, to offer up sacrifice, you know, you are anointed to take up your cross daily and follow him. He's given you the grace to do that. And so by that anointing, you're able to do that and unite your sacrifices to his. It's a beautiful thing. Perfect. And I think the last thing, because we already talked about the white garment a little mm-hmm. bit. Let's talk about the candle, the sure. baptismal candle, because we haven't talked about that yet. We kind of alluded to it a little bit. I think so. Um, but, I mean, this is kind of a big part of the baptism where, you know, you take the baptismal candle, you light it off of the Easter candle, yep. which we're going to get a new one of those on Saturday, which is very exciting. Uh, well, we have it. We're going to bless yeah, it and light it. Bless and light it. On, on Saturday. And so we light it off the Easter candle, and then that's... The godparents, traditionally, are the ones that light it and they hand it over to the parents. Mm -hmm. So talk about what the symbolism is with that and why we use this baptismal candle. So to kind of like go into the roots there with with the paschal candle itself. So 
I'm getting ready to sing the Exultet um, on Saturday night, which is awesome. Um, I've always been so intimidated by and it. And even if you're not at Mass, watch the live stream after the fact so you can hear the Exultet because it's totally worth it. I'm really excited about it. And, like, the poetry in it is so amazing because, you know, it's like, um, you know, Exult, Heavenly Powers, Exult. Um, the very fact, you know, it, it, all about the light of Christ you know, not being overcome by the darkness. I mean, we start off with the Easter fire, which gets blessed, and it's out of that fire that we light the Easter candle. And we have that for a whole year. In fact, this is also fitting with Susan Evans. You know, yesterday's funeral was the last time we'll have used that that Easter candle. Mm. So I actually right. took one of the pieces of decoration off and gave it to her daughter, Kat. Oh, nice. So I just thought That's, it seems appropriate because yeah. there's also an Easter candle link with her father who passed away back in 2015. And it was just, it was nice. But mm. anyway, um, it's like just, and like just read the Exalted. I mean, just all about, you know, all the glories of, of what Christ's resurrection has meant, the fact that we do have light, you know, not just the darkness, that, um, you know, without Jesus rising from the dead, as it says in there, our birth would have been no gain because if all there is is death, you know, it just all falls apart anyway. But that's not the case. Jesus is risen from the dead. And so, like, that light, you know, continues burning. We pray that it may be found still burning by the morning star, the one morning star who never sets, Jesus Christ. You know, it's like, it's, the, the poetry is incredible. So anyway, it's, it's that candle that we light off of and give to the child, you know, that the light of Christ may be burning in their hearts, that they keep that light burning and parents and godparents, the light is entrusted to you to make sure that that child keeps that burning because they need to learn about what they've inherited, the light that's there, and to make sure that they don't just fall right into a life of sin and squalor in which that light would be dimmed and, and overcome, so to speak. Um, and it's a beautiful uh, tradition that on your baptismal anniversary to bring that candle out and relight it and just remember, you know, the, the dignity you've been given and having that light burning in your heart. And to remember that no matter how dark the world may be, like you've got that light burning in your heart. And so it's like you don't have to be afraid. Because, um, yeah, what's one of the, the biggest things that kiddos are afraid of? The dark, right? We're all kind of afraid of it because like, it's the unseen. But we have the light of Christ that the darkness has not been able to overcome, and we receive that at baptism. And that obviously very much plays into the fact that we are uniting ourselves with Christ in death. Yeah. Because this light of Christ, I mean, at the Easter Vigil Mass, one of the things that I love to see that not everyone gets to see is when Deacon walks into the empty church and yeah. does the elevation of the candle three times um, within this dark, empty church. Most people are way back in the procession, but because yeah. I'm getting ready to, like, help the candidates and catechumens get into their seat. I always scoot up ahead and get around. So I'm always in the church when nice. I see Deacon elevate the candle. Wow. And so that one little tiny light in this, and this year will actually be a very dark church yeah. because it's a half an hour later. Mm -hmm. um, it, you could definitely tell it's like, wow, that's not a lot, but it still is emitting something and you can still very much see it yep. within the church. Um, and so that light, and that's representing the light of Christ in the tomb, yeah. essentially, in death. I mean, our baptismal candle being lit off of that is even representing this tiny little light in this world of darkness that still has a lot of power to it and can do so much. Absolutely. And one of the beautiful lines in the Exalted too is that, you know, this flame although divided into many parts, yet undimmed. You know, that's the thing. As it gets spread out to everybody's candle, it's not as though that first light got smaller. It just keeps getting bigger. And, you know, once again, it's, it's the beauty 
that our Lord, you know, uses these elements that he's given us, you know, of water, of fire, you know, fire that can spread like that. And, and yet it's undimmed, you know, and just, and in the way that that works, obviously fire is a powerful thing, you know, and you don't want to just like let it run rampant, but when it's the right kind of fire, uh, just to see what kind of power and energy that has and to see that in the church divided into many though undimmed, it's so great. Yeah, because right after Deacon does that elevation, we then start lighting all the candles back. Yep. And it is it is really fascinating to see how lit the church is when everyone has their their little processional candle lit. It, it is really, oh, it's really powerful. I think that that is the most beautiful way to have the church lit up. You know, like and to be able to stand in the sanctuary and look out at all those lights, that is so beautiful. And I'll tell you, you know, it's just this just sort of occurred to me. Hopefully it's correct. Um, but, you know, you think about it. We're talking about the baptismal candle, right? Like we're we're all given that to have that light um, burning in our hearts. So in a way, it's like I wonder. You know, it's just our Lord like looking on the church. Like, is that the way we look? You know, like just all these flames burning around, and just how beautiful that is. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily like the harshness of overhead lighting. You know, and just like fluorescent tubes and stuff like that. There's something though about the brightness of just all those different candles. It's, it's, it's amazing. Actually, I just had an interesting image off of that image. You yeah. ever seen those pictures of like United States with like the light pollution and like where oh, New York yeah. city is really bright. And then yeah. out in the Midwest it's kind of dark cause there's not a lot of light, yeah. like from space. Sure. Can yeah. you, can you imagine like these are all just the people in that population from their light of Christ burning in them and how oh. bright it is where it's more populous. Yeah. That's actually a really kind of fun and interesting, uh, absolutely meditation point. And yet still holding on to like the beauty of the stars yeah. as opposed to like the light pollution, so to speak. Cause that's the thing. It's like our Lord is able to do things like that in an incredible, huge way without it getting gross to a point where we call it pollution. You know, that's yeah. the thing. Like, so we call it light pollution. Why? Because like it, it messes up the light of the stars that you don't get to see anymore when you're in a giant city. But if you're out in the middle of like rural Montana, you're going to see a whole lot more. Um, yeah, it's like our Lord is able to do huge things and yet is like still has like the absolute power over detail like a master craftsman. You know, just how, how amazing that is. And just yeah, that light in the church that gets so bright that comes from all these individual candles. That's cool. Fantastic. Well, I think we need to wrap it up there. I Next know. time we're going to talk about who receives baptism. And then we're going to talk about who can baptize. So we've kind of alluded to a lot of these things already, but it'll be great to talk about more grace of baptism. And then we get into just a little bit of confirmation next time as well. Which once again, just in God's good providence, that's the way the show always seems to work because it's like we, we're going to hit that just before we have confirmation here at Sacred Heart. And actually it'll be right after I had confirmation at St. Joseph's in Kannapolis, I think. So yeah. that'd be cool because that's on April 17th. And then we have confirmation here on May 11th. So... Coming up, all yes, these exciting is. things. It is indeed. Sacrament wow. season is upon us. Praise God. How exciting is that? It's wonderful. All right. Well, let's close with a prayer. Sounds good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.